This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Decibel Demon Podcast with Chris Sinzak and Aaron Camaro. That's right. Right now, it's time to get caught up on everything going on in the world. All the important stuff. You know, hard rock and heavy metal. That's what it's all about, especially around here. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast as we present GeekWire. It's your weekly dose of the latest and greatest happenings in the world of hard rock and heavy metal music, and we are your boys. We're going to bring it to you. I'm Aaron Camaro, joined as always by my awesome friend, Chris Sinzak. How are you doing, brother? I'm good, and I have a special message for our Decibel Geek listeners. Oh, yeah? What's that? I just want to let them know that your love, your power has made us immortal. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, man. Well, I mean, shit. If we're going to talk about the the news, the things going on in rock and metal music, then I guess, well, it's the end of the road. It's over, I thought. Well, apparently it's continuing in the metaverse or whatever the fuck this is. I don't understand it at all. I don't really either. I, well, I know they're trying to ape what... Uh, well, we'll get to the Avatar thing in a minute. Obviously, we'll recap. Kiss finished out their last two shows, Madison Square Garden. We both had several friends, several friends that were at it. Yeah, I bet. Um, but uh, And then they did it as a pay-per-view. I didn't watch the paper. I didn't order the pay-per-view, but then I found ways to watch pieces of it after it was over. Have you seen any of the clips of it? I mean, not really, because I just figured it's the same thing as all the other clips. And you would be correct. Like, zero. Nothing nothing new at all. Yeah, the same stuff from the last 20 years. I, yeah. you know, why, why would you go out of your way to watch Modern Day Kiss on the YouTube when, I mean, if you did it 20 years ago, it's the same exact thing? Yeah, and it's it's one of those things where I could understand them not doing anything special on Friday because it wasn't technically the last one, but like then Saturday you had the golden opportunity. And the thing is, it's like, there's so much division in the kiss fan base and you know, the guys in the band know that that exists. Oh yeah, for sure. And it's just, it would have been so, I'm not saying Ace and Peter had to even be there or play or anything. Just acknowledge them from the stage in between two of the songs just acknowledge those guys and bruce and you know bill of coin and eric the road Carr, crew for eric Carr, of course um just say something for a few minutes break character for just a minute but no they they, they weren't going to do it can't break character this shit is scripted down to the millisecond yeah it just uh 
very disappointing, and I feel bad for the because and it's a, it was pretty widely uh, unanimous between Kiss fans that that really bothered most of the Kiss fans that I saw reviews of it. Yeah, you know, and it's and if you like Kiss's current show, you enjoyed it because it was Kiss's current show. But it's just like they could have done so much more, and I, I wouldn't even expect some big Hollywood ending. But Jesus, just an acknowledgement between songs. Say something, guys. Yeah, you know, and there yeah. just there didn't seem to be any real emotion to what I saw from it. They're probably just like, "Thank God we don't have to do this no more." Maybe I'm tired uh, of then, being ridiculed. You know, and then uh, we'll get to our actual first story. Um, so the the show ends, and I did see this clip. They end rock and roll all night, and then the, all this smoke comes up, and Paul says, "Like, well, we're not." we're not going anywhere We're you'll see us in all different places and we'll see you in your dreams. And then like way more fog than they've ever used before. And so much where you couldn't see anything. And then the song ends and then the video for the avatars begins on the big screen as the fog settles and the band's gone. Like they disappeared and man, I mean, how you, I'm sure you've seen the, some of the video of this by now, right? Yeah. What was what was your perspective on it? I I just I don't understand. Is it like something you're gonna go see in a movie theater, or is it gonna be like like you go to Madison Square Garden and it's like watching a movie of? I don't I don't get it. I don't get it. They were kind of like, and I've watched some interview stuff they've done since then, or they've released since then, and I got the vibe that they're talking about somehow touring this hologram technology, but that like the company that's helping them with it. One of them is, uh, I think they're called pop house and they are the people that did the ABBA hologram thing. Um, but that, that is in its own like facility in Europe. It's like, you have to go to the building to see it. Yeah. Does it that's look the only good? way it works with that technology. Does it look real? From what I saw, there's video of it on YouTube. It looks amazing, actually. It yeah. looks like them from the 70s. It looks like they're really standing there. Hmm. But then, like, but they they unveiled this stupid-ass video, and Gene's got real fucking wings and, you know, shooting yeah. fire out of his eyes, and it's like, like it's a Marvel comic come to life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, who gives a fuck about that? You I know, did like, see. I did see it questioned, asked. I seen it asked in I think it was the Sync Army group on Facebook yeah. that said if this thing came to fruition and instead of it being like the current kiss but they used the technology to recreate classic 70s kiss right would you be interested in it then mhm and I had to think and it's like you know I bet I would go see that if that was the case I would at a reasonable price yeah yeah, yeah. But it's, but like that's not what they gave you. And then on top of even regardless of how they look, I thought it was very poor form on their part to end their final concert with a fucking commercial, the commercial. for what they're going to do in the future. That's commercial with a K. <laughs> yeah. And I saw a lot of people on like other shows like Kiss FAQ and Podcast Rock City. They beat me to the joke because we waited a while to record this, but. It was like it reminded you of uh, that movie, A Christmas Story, where he gets the uh, the decoder the, the decoder ring or whatever, and he figures out the the secret code, and it turns out it just says, "Be sure to drink your Ovaltine." Yeah, yeah. and he's like, "A crummy commercial." <laughs> uh, 
That's funny. <laughs> Only Kiss would end their final show with a fucking commercial of for course. a future project. Of course. And it's it's like we said, you know, we just recently made an appearance on the YouTube show Black Spinner Circle, and we were talking about Kiss, and I think it was mentioned on there. It's like, that's Kiss Marketing 101, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just the way it's done, and it's the way it's been done for a long time. I saw this little video clip of... I think it was Neil Peart. I know it was Neil Peart. And they were talking about Kiss. And he had kind of mentioned that, like, even way back then, he would see that, like, Gene and Paul were the brand. Like, they were mm-hmm. all about the branding. And he said, you know, and then you had the the soft-hearted guys like Ace Fraley and Peter Chris that just didn't, you know, they were just in it to to be real dudes, you know, and play music and, you know, make a living off playing music, what they loved. And it was hard on them, you know. So even way back then, you know, it was it was all business. It never. Yeah. It's just Kiss marketing one hundred and one is what it is. I always wondered if the song Limelight was referencing Kiss with the whole glittering prizes and endless compromises, shatter the illusion of integrity line. Yeah, it's I always possible. wondered if it was Neil's commentary on how Kiss had changed after the way they knew them. Yeah, that's good possibility. Probably them and other bands, but I, every time I heard, it, I was like, "That sounds like the way Kiss went about things." Yeah, and here's here's a follow up to the Kiss Torpedo Dudes episode we did just a little while ago. The pizza boxes from New York City—they are now on eBay for two hundred and twenty-five dollars at the cheapest. Oh my god! Yeah, for a pizza box that probably costs sixty cents to make. Right? Yeah. Wow. And then I saw there was. Uh, you know, they had those blinking wristband things on the seats that they gave everybody. Um, did you see that? No. They had the, they're just, I guess they're being used in like concerts for younger artists, but it's just, it was just a little wristband with Kiss branding on it with a little white plastic top. And it would have, at points in the show, they would, tri- some something else would trigger the, each wristband to blink different colors. So kind of make the audience part of the show. Yeah. And it wasn't all that impressive the little that I saw of it on replay, but but the but it was a collectible and like if if I'm at that show I want that thing. Sure. So they put them on all the seats before each show, but like people that had gone the night bef- before on Friday were getting there early and swiping them off uh, of chairs and they're selling them on eBay. It's like uh, it's boo. a fucking dick move, man. Yeah, lame. I hate that. man. I hate people that do that shit. That's not cool. You know, I I I have plenty of fellow Kiss fans that are really good people, but man, there are some people in the this fan base that are just scum. Yeah. And then you walk in and be like, "How come they got wristbands and stuff? We didn't get nothing." And you have no idea that you yeah. got ripped off. And they handed, I guess, they randomly handed out these gold ticket things uh, at the end of the second night, and like an I was there type thing. And yeah, but. They didn't have enough for everybody, and a lot of people wound up missing out on that, too. Yeah, yeah. I bet you those got a hefty price tag on the eBay today, too. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the, oh, yeah, and this was – FAQ was talking about this. Um, so they were like they were handing it out to people at the, that show saying, like, oh, the, this – and even on the back of it, it says these were made only for uh, MSG Night 2 and no other copies were made. And apparently at the same time – if you had ordered the pay-per-view, they advertised during the pay-per-view that you could buy this ticket. Oh, wow. And 
if you bought it, it was $350 with $50 shipping. And that's buying it from Kiss? Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Kiss did the, ver- the very most kissed way of going out, sadly. Yeah, yeah. Just like, man. And I feel bad for the people that hung on to the end, because I, I think there was a large swath of Kiss fans that they... They would just continue to take whatever the band was serving up, you know, like it would be Tommy and Eric and the new character things. And, and I was one of those people. I, I eventually adjusted to that. I was like, OK, it's fine. I, I don't like it, but I get it. Right. And then yeah. and then Paul's voice blows out and then some fans still hung on through that. And then the track started and fans hung on through that. And I think a lot of them were hanging on because they knew it was going to come to an end. And they all wanted that come full circle moment at the end where the band would like just do something to kind of acknowledge goodwill among the history of the band and the members. But it yeah. just wasn't going to happen. Man, that sucks. Yeah. I mean, if n- nobody else, you say something for Eric Carr, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, but apparently they interviewed Chris Angel before the show. So there was that. <laughs> oh and gene talked about having a, a kidney stone in his schmeckle after the show on an interview look it's rock and roll it's like gene this is an emotional moment your final show ever how are you handling this i've got a kidney stone in my schmeckle like really he's like the joe biden of rock and roll oh God, i'm not even going <laughs> And then one more thing about the avatars, because we have other stories to talk about. Um, what I don't get is, like, why did they get avatars of their current selves? Like, I don't want to, like, they're going to live in immortality as 70-plus-year-old men? Yeah. I don't get that, that does, at all. That doesn't make much sense. You would think, be, well, I guess if you look at it that way, if, say, okay, we're, we want to project ourselves as... Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley, 1977. You know, you can do it off of old footage and use the AI to create the movements oh, yeah. out of all this stuff. I want to look good. I want to look young. That's the way most anybody would probably want to do it. But if you do that, then you kind of feel like you should include classic Ace and Peter, too. Or, you know, here's an idea. Just retire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Count your money at home and relax for a fucking yeah. change. <laughs> Jesus. Or, you know, did release release the vault or, you know, put out old video. Just do, you know, enjoy your whole history. You earned it. But, like, God, they're just... If, and it still feels like there's this really aggressive attitude towards the former members. It's just... Yeah. It's so sad that they can't just drop all that shit. Well, it doesn't matter now, does it? No, it now, doesn't. Now that Kiss is out of the equation... They probably can. I mean, when Paul Stanley appeared on the Ace Fraley album, that was really damn cool. And then Gene Simmons did some stuff with Ace on, a, on the next album after that, and that was pretty cool too. You know, so it's like when Kiss is out of the equation, they can get along. But as long as Kiss is in the equation, then it's, I want in, I want to get paid, we don't want to pay you, we're going to tell everybody you suck. You know, and then it's it's a problem. But I think if you take Kiss out of the equation now that it's over, I mean, maybe we're going to start feeling excited to report on Kiss on Geek Wire because it'll be like, 
Gene Simmons is doing this, and it seems really cool, and Ace has got this going on, and they might do more intermingling on each other's albums in the future, and that's good. I like that. I think uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Gene goes back out live on his own with his band and, and finds a way to involve Ace and Peter to make up for this. I mean, I love it when Gene does his solo stuff because with the Gene Simmons band, you get what you wish you could have with Kiss, and that's spontaneity. Like, you don't know for sure what's going to get played that night, you know? But whatever it is, it's going to be awesome. So I love it when Gene's out on the road. I wish he would come around here. I'd love to see a full show of it. But, yeah, I mean, even as far as, like, Eric Singer and Tommy Thayer, I'm interested in seeing what they do. Yeah. Well, you know, those uh those politics tend to get in the way. Yeah, but it's like you said, you know, so many people held on. Why do they held on to the very end? Because Kiss is freaking awesome, you know. They're Oh man, I got they're the best, you know. They're they're awesome. And so it took a lot to kick me in the balls enough times to make me go, "Man, I just don't feel like about, I don't feel about Kiss the way I once did." But I mean, now that it's over, now it's like I can feel good about Kiss again. <laughs> I'm oh, excited I mean, for never the future. With the, the memories we got from them, right? Exactly. You know, and you—I've been reading a lot of comments on Facebook for people that were like giving testimony for the final show of Kiss, whether they were there or not, and what this band meant to them. And it's like, man, yeah, these are my people because I totally understand why they feel the way they do. You know, because. Kiss was such an important part of my life growing up. And, you know, and it's these last years for me have sucked. But now it's over, and I'm excited about Kiss again. Well, and we can shift our focus to where it belongs, Vinnie Vincent. Oh, boy. I, that's, I tried to do this whole conversation without bringing him up. Nobody else uh, did, but you know who did? Chris Inzak. Yeah, of, of course. course. <laughs> Apparently he thinks he d- he deserves an avatar in the Kiss universe from, uh, yeah. from what I saw. Like a poop emoji? I saw it on Kiss FAQ, and then somebody, they put it really well. They were like, Vinny's playing a dangerous game because Kiss might go, oh, yeah, let's have Vinny be involved and then do absolutely horrible things to him. Or just make him a current avatar of today, you know? Like... I'm a current avatar. Vinny, you got to be a current avatar, too. He'd be like, no, I want to be 1982 Vinny Vincent. No, no. You know, you're 2023 Vinny Vincent. That's the only way. Yeah. Avatar with kung fu slippers. (laughs) (laughs) And a Hillary Clinton jacket. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, you know, I don't know. I I don't want to get into the whole Vinny thing, but I thought that was funny. that They did screw with him um, on packaging in the past. Do you remember the... 24 inch tall uh destroyer dolls that they put out in the 90s uh oh yes yes i do as a matter of fact we just seen them me and buddy baker saw them at the mckay's did you notice on the packaging there's a vinny dis involved with the packaging no i never did notice that so like the artwork around the doll is like a crumbled city scene right yeah so if you look if you look at the packaging in the rubble you see a face stuck underneath all the rocks and it's got Vinny's makeup design on it. Wow. Yeah. 
And also a broken street sign is there, and it says St. John Street. Wow. So that's why that's why that guy's right, because Paul could get catch wind of that and be like, all right, yeah, we'll put Vinny in here. We'll have him, you know, ha- getting him drawn and quartered in the metaverse or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Hope you're happy, Vinny. You're in the you're in the the thing now, whatever it is. Oh, whatever it is, yeah. I guess we'll see. Yeah. It's weird. But uh last thing about KISS this week, D Snyder, uh very uh very quiet guy who doesn't really speak his mind very often. <laughs> very reserved. Um, I guess he did a interview with the Metal Voice. I love the Metal Voice; those guys are good. Um, so it was talking. They were asking him about the end of the road, and uh, he said, "I'm a day one Kiss fan. Day one, I was living in Long Long Island in Nassau County. They were in Queens. I heard about this band that's wearing makeup. They were okay. God, he's going through a whole history. I'm not going to read all that, but uh, but the idea of the farewell tour, I don't want to believe. And people say, "Well, do you think it's for real?" I said, this is what I know. When I see the bodies in the KISS coffins, then I'll say they're done. They're done. When they're laying there in their coffins, I'll say, good work, good job. (laughs) And they still won't be done. I love that he thinks that KISS will be buried in KISS coffins. Yeah, that's awesome. Gene would be like, I wouldn't be caught dead in that. Oh, wait. Yeah. It's cool to think about, like, D. Snyder coming up in New York City, that's the timeline, you know, and to know that he was going and seeing Kiss when he was young and Kiss was up and coming, that's pretty cool. Do you the, the, do you take uh you think it's more likely they do a one off show in the future or do you think they're really done? I don't know. Money talks. Talks. Ask the Scorpions. The Scorpions are back again. Yeah. <laughs> you see again. that? They're doing a residency in... With Ugly Kid Joe. In Vegas with Ugly Kid Joe, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, of course. You don't think Metal Mike didn't immediately text me about no. that? <laughs> Road trip. <laughs> oh, man. I'm thinking about it. Hey, my wife and I continually talk about going out to Vegas finally. Yeah. I've um, never been either. And the, I want to I want to see the Las Vegas Sphere. I think that's amazing. Yeah, I just want to go see Diamond Tim. Oh, absolutely. I, I, though I think Diamond Tim's going to be in Tennessee soon. Oh, right on. That's cool. I think he said he was going to come home around the holidays. So uh, we, if he's coming into town, we got to try to find a way to meet up and yeah. do another episode. Yeah, yeah. Um. Well, to move on from uh, another Kiss-related artist talking about Puddle of Mud, and they're really not Kiss-related, I just couldn't think of a better segue. That's terrible. Yeah. Wes Scantlin says he's been throwing around the idea of doing a country record. Who gathers these news stories? (laughs) This seemed very newsworthy to me. Oh, it did? Okay. All right. Please elaborate. 
He said, it's going to be a very diverse record. It's not going to be just country. It'll have a lot of different stuff and it'll just be like a solo, kind of a solo thing for me to do a solo artist. As they say, I could sing country. I could sing that type of style all day long, man. Just like effortless, effortlessly. Hopefully he can sing it more effortlessly than uh, his cover of Nirvana. Yeah, man. I don't know about this guy. He seems a little wacky to me. He's completely wacky. But that band Puddle of Mud, they still get played constantly on modern rock radio to this day. Well, they had like four big hits. So that's the the sad truth is Wes will always have a source of income because you can make it on one or two hits, actually, and support yourself. He's got like four of them. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't think I really want to buy a uh, country record by Wes Scantlin, though. No, and I don't think country fans are really going to be clamoring for that either. Well, here comes Johnny with his pecker in his hand. He's a one-ball man, and he's off to the rodeo. It's element left and element right. Come on, you fucking dummy, get your right step right. Get off stage, you goddamn goose, you know. Piss me off, you fucking jerk. Get on the nerves. Uh, in Van Halen news, uh, I think Wolfgang Van Halen has disappointed a lot of our friends. Really? But- because he said he is, quote, stoked about Sammy Hagar's 2024 tour focusing on the music of Van Halen. Yeah, well, that's pretty cool. Cool that he supports it. He's probably just grateful that he's not being asked to play guitar. That was exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, because I think that's what everybody really wants. But I just don't think Wolfgang's the guitar player that his dad was, you know. And so he'd go out there and people would expect him to play this stuff flawlessly and not make a single mistake because he's his son. And you're probably not going to get that, so it's it's a lose-lose for him to be involved. Oh, yeah, and I, I think he just wants to focus on his own music. You know, yeah. I'm sure he respects his dad's music, but, I mean, if I'm his age, I'm not wanting to play that old stuff. I want to play my stuff. Right, you know? true. So, so good for him, but, uh, yeah, so we still have to endure... Sammy going back out with but although Satriani's a pretty good guitar player to put in there. So oh, yeah. we'll see how it goes. No, he's got a hell of a band put together. Plus Michael Anthony's there. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean it's the closest thing you're gonna get to a Van Halen reunion right now, or probably ever, really. And no Dave, because apparently Sammy said Dave could come out if he wanted to, and then Dave said, Let's do it, and then Sammy goes, I didn't mean it. Jeez. I saw that. What the hell? Sammy Hagar, you do something cool, and then you do something lame. And then you do something cool, then you do something lame. I can't, I don't know. Yeah, I can't hey. like Sammy Hagar, and I can't hate him because it's like he's back and forth, back and forth. Every time, it's like he does his Van Halen tour, and I go, you know what? That's actually pretty damn cool. And I bet you a lot of people will go to that and have a damn good time. I would actually go to that. I bet you it'd be pretty cool. And then the ne- very next week on the Geek Wire, the very next time around, it's like, Yep, Sammy Hagar invited Dave. Dave said, I'm in. And Sammy said, oh, no, 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 you know. It's like, come on, dude. Every time. He's so afraid to be in Dave's shadow. And nowadays, it would be the perfect time for Sammy to get his revenge after all these years because Dave goes out, he don't do so hot, and then Sammy goes, ha, ha, I'm Sammy Hagar, Red Rocker, look at me go. 
Well, yeah, that's true. Because have you heard some of these new versions of Van Halen songs that Dave's been putting out lately? Yeah, I don't understand why Dave does that. Ooh, they all sound terrible. I don't understand why. Because it's all, the way they explain it, it's like all one-take shit. You know, it's like, just fire it up and let's do it. You know, and it ain't nothing edited in the studio or nothing. It's just basically him and this band, you know, like, three, two, one, go, you know. And it, it just, yeah. I mean, you need help. Talk to Don Dockin. Talk to Ozzy. You need help. You, it can sound good, but you can't just record it and release it just raw like that it's it's never gonna stand up yeah i think uh as we talked about on the label wars episode i think sometimes the artistic freedom you have these days may be a hindrance to some people yeah yeah sometimes you need a record company going that sucks we're not putting it out so what if some kids out there on the youtube or whatever he's looking up you know van halen (laughs) and he finds that (laughs) and yeah he finds like he's looking for ain't talking about love and then that's what comes up and he goes Oh man, you know, everybody said this is so cool. I don't get it. You know, don't release that stuff. <laughs> yeah. We're in a we're in a race to find out who's soiling the Van Halen name faster. That's about the halfway mark. You want to do the Camaro segment? All right. Yes, we can, because we got to take a look to the past, the present, and the future, sort of. And uh, we always do that about halfway through the Geek Wire with some album anniversaries, some rock star death days, and then we're going to talk about albums coming out in the near future. It's the end of the year, man. Slim pickings there. So let's start with some album anniversaries. Now, December is a funny time of year when it comes to record releases because there's not a whole lot of them. So let's talk about some album anniversaries. I kind of had to stick a couple in here to beef it up a little bit even because there really wasn't a whole lot. Uh, Celebrating a 10-year anniversary, this takes back to 2013, the band Boston comes out with the album Life, Love, and Hope. It's their sixth and final album. comes out on Frontiers. It is the only album post-death of Brad Delp, the classic singer of Boston for all them years. But Brad, through the magic of technology of 2013, is able to actually appear on three of the songs. Believe it or not, 2013 Boston, number 37 on the charts. I have zero memory of this record coming out. Yeah, me neither. I was just kind of looking at it, and I was looking at my Boston collection, which I just got like the classic, the first three albums, and it's like, no, I don't have this, you know, and then it's like, you know, maybe it's worth checking out from the reviews I read on it. It said it had that the spirit of their classic era kind of music. I'll have so, to check that one out. I've never uh, even heard of it. Ten year anniversary, Boston, life, love and hope. So then let's jump back 15 years. Like I said, slim pickings, these ones, you know, you got to wait till like around the 30 year anniversary mark for things to start getting really good. But Let's talk about 2008, 15 years ago, anniversary of the Saliva album, Cinco Diablo. Now, Saliva's a band. They peaked in 2001, but they carried on, man. They had they had a good run of hits there in the early 2000s, but by 2008, man, this is their sixth studio album. 
Previously, they've had, since 2001, two albums in the top 20, but this one is the first one that falls outside the top 100. So one of those bands where you can look back on their timeline and go, they had a timeline, you know, and it started here and it kind of ended there. But Saliva's a band that's still going today in, I guess, a couple different incarnations. Yeah, yeah. the old singer has his own version, and then the rest of the guys, I guess, are in the other one. Oh, yeah, that's some L.A. Guns shit right there. Yeah, because we needed more than one Saliva. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I kind of like, like Saliva. I like a couple tunes. Yeah. All right, so then from there, let's jump back 20 years to 2003. Again, kind of grasping at straws for these ones. Status Quo comes out with an album called Riffs. It's the old school UK rockers. It's 15 tracks. Ten of them are old school covers, like classic rock songs. And then you got five re-records of their own classic songs. Why'd they do this? I have no idea, but I had to have something. 20-year anniversary of Status Quo Riffs. So then let's jump back 30 years to 1993. This is where it starts getting a little more interesting, I think. Let's talk about the Ramones, their album Acid Eaters. Here's another tribute album, and it's to songs from the 60s. Talking about the Who, the Stones, the Birds, the Trogs, bands like that. And actually, on background vocals, you can find Sebastian Bach and Tracy Lords on this one. Yeah, and a, a lot of diehard fans hate this record, but I actually liked it. I could see why the diehard fans would hate it, but when the Ramones, like, when they cover those old 60s kind of doo-wop songs and rock them out a little bit, sometimes they're pretty cool, and there's actually some pretty cool stuff on here. Um, in 1993, I mean, the Ramones aren't, man, they, well, they never really were superstars, but this one's only going to 179 on the U.S. charts. But, I don't know, it's still a pretty interesting list, and there's some cool stuff on there. So then, let's go back 40 years, 40-year anniversary in 1983 for the full-length debut album from Slayer, Show No Mercy. The album's basically financed by the band, and it's Metal Blade's highest-selling release of all time. So we talked about that on the Label Wars episode, how Metal Blade signed Slayer, and how a Labels like Metal Blade and Megaforce were so bottom floor that everybody's just kind of pitching in to make this album happen. And I love that. I love the fact that it's so grassroots like that back in 1983. Then we got some good classic punk rock with the Misfits, Earth AD slash Wolf's Blood. That's their second full-length studio album, even though it's kind of like two EPs put together. But man, classic stuff on there like Green Hell Die, 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 My Darling, and Death Comes Ripping are a couple of my favorites off of there. Gotta love that old Misfits. Man, this was a good one here. 
except Balls to the Wall celebrating a 40-year anniversary. That's their fifth studio album. They're big in Europe up to this point, but now that's this is kind of their introduction to the world because they got picked up by RCA Records, and it goes to number 74 here in the States, so that's pretty damn good for basically a band that nobody had heard of the year before. And what's funny about this is it kicks off this kind of a gay metal conspiracy about the band because the album cover and it's kind of homoerotic they said back then and it was it was kind of a a thing that people were a little upset about yeah it looks like looks like something judas priest would have done back then maybe maybe from rob's perspective yeah yeah if they said rob you're in charge of the album cover well this is what happens when you say udo you're in charge of the album cover is udo gay I always assume so. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, I hope I'm not wrong. Not that it matters, but I think so. I'm pretty sure, man. Although the thought of Udo having sex with anything scares the hell out of me. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> but the the flip side of that is that back then in 83, the kind of controversy over that, it doesn't really hurt them, but it actually gains them some fans. So it's pretty interesting the way that worked out for them. So, yeah, Balls of the Wall, 40-year anniversary. I think it's probably best known for the title track. But, man, that thing's loaded with good songs. I mean, Balls of the Wall, as awesome as it is, there's some other tracks deeper down on that album that are just mind-blowingly good. year anniversary man if you're talking about perfect albums you gotta include this one it's ozzy osbourne bark at the moon it's his third full-length studio album as we talked about in the label wars it's his first with epic and it's the first with jake and the first without randy but man this is one you don't skip a track on when you put it on no it's a it's a bona fide classic yeah and has aged well. Still sounds kind of timeless. Yeah, yeah. One of the greatest albums of all time right there. If they do 
let's jump back 45 years ago to 1978. And while we're on the topic of Randy Rhodes, it's the anniversary of Quiet Riot's QR2, a Japanese-only release. Not sure why, man. They were really popular in California and L.A. They were made their name in Los Angeles, but I guess the record company they signed with could only get them released in Japan. So that's what they did. By this time, the band's pretty much done. Randy Rhodes is going to go with Ozzy. And during the recording of this album, bass player Kelly Garney is arrested because he's going to literally kill Kevin Dubrow. He's got a pistol. He shoots it through the ceiling of the studio. Randy Rhodes has to scuffle with him. But he's going there to kill the lead singer of his own band. So success did not change Kevin Dubrow, apparently. No, no, he was that way before success. <laughs> Gee, what a what a guy. And Kelly Garney is Randy Rhodes' like longtime childhood friend, so he's got to fire him from the band, but you know, like I said, it really doesn't matter because this is the end of this version of Quiet Riot. They're gonna come back later on and do all right for themselves, but this one was a failure because it wasn't even released in the United States. Yeah, apparently it's it Gets top dollar if you get the vinyl of it. Oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah, because you got to special order it, and it's that old, and they yeah. weren't huge, so there probably wasn't a whole lot of them. Yeah, I bet you that's top dollar right there. I just never liked it enough to want to buy it for that much. No, I've never really listened to it, but I probably should one of these days. I mean, really check Randy, that out. Randy sounds great, but the songwriting was r- pretty weak. Yeah. All right. Well, if you dare... You can check that one out on its 45th anniversary. Here's one personal favorite of mine from 1978, celebrating a 45-year anniversary of Alice Cooper's From the Inside. It's his fourth solo album since the disillusion of the Alice Cooper band, and it's songs written about his experiences in an actual asylum. Like, you got all these guys nowadays, like Marilyn Manson and Ghost, and they're writing all these scary songs. Alice Cooper went to the asylum for the perspective to write this music. Well, back then, if I'm if I'm correct on this, they didn't really have much in the way of rehab centers. So it was kind of like you just get locked up in an institution until you dried out. Right, yeah, and that's what happened to him. So he's in there with people that are in there for all kinds of different reasons. And so the album, man, there's something really creepy about it, but there's some really great songs on this one, too. Yeah, it's it's grown to be one of my favorites of his. I didn't really love it at first because it's got a different type of sound, and that the David Foster production was a hard pill to swallow for me. Yeah. Because it's very, it's got a lot of sheen and pop sensibility to it. But. But the concept behind it and the lyrics and and Dick Wagner's guitar playing. I was going to say. You know, it it raises it up. Um, David Foster, I'm glad he only did that one record with him just because he was just not the right guy to produce Alice. But it's a great record. She's so creative with the bar of soap And so inventive with the stethoscope To check my pulse, you gotta hold my hand Then I blow the fuse on the encephalogram Satan Santa from the bowels of hell I should have recognized old Jezebel I surrendered to my urges felt She popped the buckle off my Bible belt And I, I just can't sleep at night 
smack dab in the middle of the blackout years. Well, well, kind of what kicked off the blackout years. And it's debatable on this. I always thought it started with Flush the Fashion, but most fans consider it just Special Forces, Zipper Catches Skin, and Dada. But I hmm. think Flush the Fashion should be in part, part of those albums as well. Yeah, I would say so, because those were strange times for Alice Cooper. I guess at this point, he's still wearing like the, the classic black around his eyes and all that stuff. So, yeah, I suppose that would be the precursor. I mean, once you spend time in the asylum, it's all downhill from there, right? The wildest story on a personal level, though, was, you know, and I know you may not like this because it's a power ballad, but How You Gonna See Me Now? was the the, kind of the hit off this record and his perspective of writing it from the inside of the asylum worried about, you know, my wife has never known me to be sober and like, is she going to not want to be with me anymore? Like, is it going to change me as a person? I thought that was an interesting idea to write a song through. No, as far as power ballads go, that one's pretty great. All right. So then Let's jump back 50 years. Here's some big ones. 1973, Bachman-Turner Overdrive. Bachman-Turner Overdrive 2. It's their big U.S. breakthrough album. Takes them up to number four on the U.S. charts on the strength of the songs. Taking care of business and Let It Ride. Man, that's some good stuff. I love Let It Ride. I haven't heard that in a long time. Let It Ride is one of the most kick-ass songs ever. on their second album. These guys are coming out with their self-titled debut. It's the Ozark Mountain Daredevils. Kind of kind of country, kind of rock. They always kind of balance that line where some of the songs were country, definitely, and a lot of songs were pretty rocking. This album, their self-titled debut, includes the song, If You Want to Get to Heaven. You Gotta Raise a Little Hell. That's right. It's a good tune. I like that one. Mm-hmm. And the next album, they would end up releasing the song Jackie Blue, which is pretty popular. That's another great song of theirs. I like me some old Ozark Mountain Daredevils. I haven't heard a lot of their stuff, but I've liked what I've heard. Yeah. Some of it gets a little weird. Some of it's pretty folky. They got this song called Chicken Train, and it's just them making like chicken noises. <laughs> oh, lovely. <laughs> but somehow it's still pretty awesome. <laughs> I'm definitely going to check that out. All right, and then one more celebrating a 50-year anniversary. It is Wings, Band on the Run. This is Paul McCartney's fifth album outside the Beatles. And from 1973 to 1976, Paul McCartney goes on a run of four consecutive number one albums in the United States. 
This one, it's another big one. Probably best known for the title track and the song Jet. And I like both those songs. He opened with Jet when I saw him live. Yeah? Nice. Nice. That was a a cool song to open a show with. Hell yeah, because that's a good rocking tune. Yeah. And uh, I'll... uh, uh, movie recommendation I saw recently. Um, so the people that did the co- album cover for that was a group called Hypnosis that did like all of Pink Floyd stuff, Dark oh, Side yeah. of the Moon. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Tons of stuff. Um, Dirty Deeds for ACDC. Tons of records that you know. And uh, it's a documentary about hypnosis. I think it's on Prime. It's worth your time. It's really interesting. Right on. That sounds cool. Yeah, because yeah, they did a ton of stuff. Like every weird ass album cover you can think of back in the 70s was probably them. Yeah, they and the and the story is what you would imagine. They got really fucked up and came up with the ideas. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and everything was going great till they did Virgin Killers by Scorpions, and then oh, it was Jesus. done. Yeah, well, like when with um, Pink Floyd, they were like, "They're like, what do we do? What you know, what we should do. We should just do a picture of a cow." <laughs> They're like, right? And Roger yeah. Waters is like, "That's brilliant. Let's do it." <laughs> Jeez. And the record company's like, "What the fuck? <laughs> you guys are stupid. <laughs> the fuck is this?" There's a real rock and roll uh, spirit to the group that the two guys that ran Hypnosis. It, it's it's a great documentary. Right on. I'll check that out. All right, so we just got a couple of more then, and that means we're going way way back. These are 55-year anniversaries from 1968. The first one's the band Spirit, the family that plays together. It's their second studio album, Spirit, kind of a psychedelic, heavy rock thing. The song, probably best known off this album, I Got a Line on You. Influences on Alice Cooper and a lot of other hard rock bands. Yeah, I would I would recommend that if you're in the mood for some like really classic rock and some that doesn't get played all the time because that's probably their most well known song. But they got other cool stuff too and a decent discography to check out if you dig them. They, they uh, helped write uh, "Stairway to Heaven," right? That's the word. That's what wow. that's what they tell you. Randy California. Yeah, that's right. Did they win that lawsuit? I don't think they did. No. Well, they did try to sue Zeppelin for saying that Zeppelin ripped off parts of their songs. And then, like, Randy California, I think, died really young trying to save somebody that was drowning. Yeah, he drowned. Yeah. Yeah, that dude was talented, man. I like Spirit. When I get in the mood for that old kind of psychedelic rock, that's one of the bands I'll go to. Yeah. And then we got one more, 1968, 55-year anniversary of the Rolling Stones' Beggar's Banquet. Mm, what an awesome album. It's their ninth full-length studio album. Jumps right up to number five in the United States. 
Probably best known songs off of here, Sympathy for the Devil, Street Fighting Man. But man, I love that song, Stray Cat Blues. There's a lot of good stuff on that one. Yeah, that's one that, you know, it's it's really the two songs, Sympathy for the Devil and Street Fighting Man, and the rest of them are all kind of, you know, deeper cuts. Like, those were the two well-known songs off that album. Some of that deeper stuff's really good, too. And you can't go wrong with those songs. So there's a classic right there you can't go wrong with. albums you want to celebrate this time of year you want to bust them out and listen to them because it is their anniversaries all right so you got some albums you got to celebrate this time of year and we've got some rock star death days to talk about got a bunch this time so back in 1993 this guy was in black sabbath for a minute in between glenn hughes and tony martin he was almost the lead singer of blue murder and then would later on form the awesome band Badlands. Talk about Ray Gillen, passed away at the age of 34 of autoimmune deficiency syndrome. Known as AIDS. Also known as AIDS, yeah. They said he started showing symptoms around 1990. And so I guess there was a disagreement in the band with the manager, and they wanted to fire the manager. And the manager says, if you fire me, I'll go to Atlantic and I'll tell them that you're sick and that you've got AIDS. And he said, fuck you, you know, and the dude went and did it. And then when they turned in the music for Dusk, Atlantic just basically rejected it and said, we're done. We're not putting no more money into you. And then they had to go to, I think, a Japanese label to have it released. Mm. So, I mean, him getting sick and then the years in between of him starting to show the symptoms until he really passed away. I mean, it, it killed Badlands. That's a whole strange saga with that whole story. Yeah, because there's more to it than that. But, I mean, I got no way of knowing if some of that, you know, darker stuff is true or not. So I don't really want to talk about that. No, we'll, we'll let that. You can Google that if you're yeah, interested. Yeah, you can look that stuff up, you know. Some accusations against Ray Gillen. I don't know if they're true or not, so I got no place to say So we'll move on. On December 2nd, back in 1997, at the age of 37, in Nexus, lead vocalist Michael Hutchins dies by hanging himself. Yeah, but still still can't understand people that off themselves that way. It's really bizarre. Well, and I was doing a little reading on him, and he he was kind of a volatile dude, you know, and he would get in fights all the time and stuff. And in 1992, he got in a fight where he fell and hit his head really hard and fractured his skull. And that really messed him up. Like, they say he was never really the same after that. Maybe it was like CTE, like the NFL players get. Yeah, so he was having problems. And, you know, this by 92, he, I guess, lived with it till 97. Before he was done with NXS, he had threatened to kill all the other members of the band, even at a point pulling a knife on one of them. Oh, wow. I didn't know yeah. that. So he had, and they say, you know, after he had that head injury in 92, the day before and the day after, totally different people. Mm. 
So I think that probably had something to do with how he ended his life. Well, we got, we, we got that great reality show out of it, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> I didn't watch any of that. I, I was hooked on it. I watched every episode. <laughs> Are they still with the guy that won that show? No, no, I don't, I don't think, I think they're officially retired. I don't think they're still around. Yeah. Wow. Okay. But I got, I got caught up in it at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Or like Rockstar Supernova was the other one. I love that one too. I love garbage reality shows like that sometimes, especially if they're related to rock. Who was that weird little dude that won that show? Lucas Rossi. Lucas Rossi. Whatever happened to that guy? He moved here. Really? <laughs> yeah. Last I heard, he was still living here. And because he popped up out of nowhere when I went, uh, me and Billy Hardaway went to the, the Jeff Tate's Operation Mind Crime show. Yeah. It was at um, War Memorial Auditorium, and like literally, it was us and like seventy five other people there. And um, Jeff, it was an awkward show because it's like Jeff Tate was even like, I feel like I'm playing the prom because like yeah. we're all sitting at tables and shit. And uh, he got into silent lucidity. He's like, we got a special guest, that uh, local uh, rock star here. And then Lucas Rossi pops out and sings it with him. I'm like, really, that guy? Wow. Yeah. He shouldn't have won it. There was a guy named Marty that was a much better singer. Yeah. Yeah. But they were just looking for the guy with the unique look then, I guess. Yeah, he had the right look for that time. All right. So we move on. On December 12th, back in 2015, at the age of 48, it's classic Odie on the tour bus, Scott Wheeland. Mm. The cops, man, they found samplings of all kinds of different drugs on that bus. Yeah, that guy, no matter what good situation he would get put in, he'd find a way to fuck it up. Yeah, some people are just like that. You know, drugs really take a hold of certain people and in a way they can't shake it. And then, I mean, you think 48 years old to be partying like that? The medical examiner called it a mixture of Coke, alcohol, and MDA. Bad combination and an overdose. Yeah, a girl that I used to be good friends with, she saw saw his show in Nashville and it was like maybe two days before he died and she did the meet and greet and she said she just, she got a bad vibe off of him. Yeah. Yeah. She just, when it happened, she was like, I'm so sad, but I'm not surprised. Wow. Yeah. He must've been all fucked up then too. He was. Yeah. Drugs and rock stars, man. It's tough. You know, when you can roll into town and people are there going, I want to get high with you. Mm. It, it's, it, it affects them all in different ways. Here's another one. Another overdose death back in 1976 at the young, young age of 25. One of the most amazingly underrated guitarists because just wasn't around that long, but he was around long enough to play in the band Zephyr, which is pretty cool. The James Gang replacing Joe Walsh and Deep Purple replacing Richie Blackmore. You know, if you're replacing Joe Walsh and Richie Blackmore... I mean, I'm telling you, you got to be a pretty damn good guitar player. And this guy was. Died hours after his last show, opening up for Peter Frampton and Jeff Beck. Cause of death, mixture of heroin, cocaine, and alcohol. Tommy Bolin. 25, man. Imagine what he'd have been doing in the 80s. He would have been probably one of the top, most revered guitarists in the 80s. I bet you he would have joined some cool band and they would have been huge. 
He had a lot going for him at the time. It was, that was that was a sad one. Because think about that. 1976, he's only 25, but he's already played with the James Gang and Deep Purple. This guy was set to be a superstar. Like, if he'd have lived, I think you'd say, best guitarist in the 80s, people say, oh, Eddie Van Halen, Randy Rhodes. I bet you if he'd have lived, people say, Tommy Bolin. Yeah, he's... You know, he, he, I guess he kind of became legendary because of his death, but at the same time, there was a lot of potential that never got to get tapped. Yeah, for sure. All right, same day, many years later, in 1993, at the age of 52, one of the weirdest guys in rock and roll, Frank Zappa. Some people love him, some people don't get it. I'm one of those that don't really get it, but one thing I do know about Frank Zappa this man, when he got diagnosed with prostate cancer, he toughed it out and played a lot of shows, even though he was sick. So, man, I give it up to him fighting through it to bring it to the people. He passed away in '93 at the age of 52. Yeah, I could. I res, I've grown to respect him as a person over the years, but I, every time I've tried to dive into the music, it's just too weird for me. Yeah, same here. And it's like, man, it's Frank Zappa. I want to like his music because he's cool. Yeah, but I can't. I don't know. <laughs> it's just just too off the wall for me. Yeah. And then back in 1988, also at the age of 52, died of a heart attack. This man's a classic. Probably best known around here for being covered by Van Halen very successfully. Talking about Roy Orbison. He's a precursor to rock and roll for sure. You know, he's got a memorial garden at a cemetery here in Nashville. Yeah, he had... um. He had a house out in Hendersonville. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, because they said he did a show in Ohio. He was 52, so he's not that old. Mm-mm. But he's tired out, and he goes home for a few days. But then he's got to fly to London to do some video for the Traveling Wilburys. And then he gets home, and he's just wore out. It was just too much, and he ended up having a heart attack. Yeah, well, it's it's weird to know he was 52 because he looked so much older. Isn't that weird? Like, yeah. when you think about, like, how old was Roy Orbison when he died? And you think, oh, must have been in his 70s or 80s, right? No, he just always looked old. Yeah, he looked old in the 60s. Yeah. But he, um, yeah, his family had a house out in Hendersonville. My dad, when he was a kid, I don't, through some sort of family friend connection, he wound up getting to go to a barbecue at his house back in the 60s. Nice. Yeah, said he was a really nice guy. That's cool. Mm -hmm. All right, so now for somebody who's the complete opposite of Roy Orbison, talk about Darby Crash. Oh, you don't consider those the cut from the same cloth? (laughs) I don't think so, man. I don't think so. Darby Crash is crazy. Very self-destructive. He was the lead singer of a band called The Germs. They were an L.A. punk band. Had a pretty intense following. Have you ever seen The Decline of Civilization Part 2? The germs are all over that. Those are the stories about where the punk rock fans have to fight with the cops after the show, after every show. Pretty wild stuff. But this guy was extra nutty. He died at the age of 22 in 1980 of an intentional heroin overdose. He meant to do it. Not a very happy guy, apparently. No, that's kind of, of a bummer. Have you heard that conspiracy about Pat Smear? 
No, uh uh-uh. uh. There's people that think Pat Smear um, was responsible for Darby Crash dying and then Kurt Cobain dying because they were in a band together. Boy, that's a stretch. <laughs> but guess who also was in Foo Fighters with Taylor Hawkins? Just saying. Well, what the hell? <laughs> I'm just. It's just a con- stupid conspiracy theory. I'm. I'm. Pat Smear seems like a totally nice guy. And he, he doesn't seem like the killing type. He seems kind of harmless. No, he's always smiling. Yeah. He seems like a very happy guy. <laughs> so I don't think he's out there murdering people. Well, unless there's something sinister behind that smile. Yeah, you never know. All right. Well, here's what everybody knows. Back in 1980, at the age of 40, we got two here, back-to-back murders. First one, John Lennon. Man, the world changed that day, didn't it? Oh, for sure. That's one of the things that those people from the generation of that generation always go, oh, yeah, I remember when I heard that John Lennon died. I think a lot of them was probably on Monday Night Football. Yeah, Howard Cosell had to announce it. He didn't want to do it, but uh, Don Meredith told him that he's like, no, we have to have to report on this. Yeah. Yep. What a crazy thing. You know, he comes out of his hotel Dude comes up and says, hey, man, I'm a huge fan. Can I get an autograph? Just says, yeah, man, no problem. Signs the autograph for him, comes back, kills him. Yeah. What the, the hell? Whole, the whole Mark David Chapman story is pretty bizarre. And, um, yeah, I got to stand right there at the hotel a couple months ago. It was, uh, it was pretty interesting. Yeah, I bet you it was pretty surreal. Yeah, and saw Strawberry Fields and the Mosaic in Central Park. It's little right across the street. Yeah. Oh, man, it's not good when murder's on the list, and we got two of them back-to-back, man. This one, you know, when people from that generation talk about, I remember where I was when I heard about John Lennon getting murdered. Our generation, we remember when we heard about Dimebag Daryl losing his life. Yep. I'll never forget it. Back in 2004, the anniversary's on the 8th. Murdered in cold blood, just rocking out doing what he loved to do, out on the road with his friends, his band, the fans that he loved so much. Man, Dimebag Daryl seemed like somebody that wouldn't hurt anybody. Like, the stories you hear about him was just that he was good to everyone. Yeah. And that's, that's the only thing you can really take solace in in that was that he was in his environment, in his world, doing what he does best, kicking ass up on that stage. And at a at a, a venue that was kind of legendary for hosting a lot of great shows, but then of course, you know, saddled with that incident forever. Yeah. Yeah, it sucks, man. It sucks. That one is. Yeah, that's extra tough because I it brings me back to the feelings that I had when I found out. I remember waking up to that news at my house and it was snowing outside. I remember that. And, uh, just remember pacing my living room for like over an hour and just didn't cry so much, but I was just, I was just blown away by it and shocked by it. And I just kept pacing on trying to make, trying to wrap my head around it. Right. Cause never heard of somebody jumping up on stage and killing somebody, much less somebody like dime. Right. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. And also, um, you know, our friend Chad Lee was supposed to be at the show and be- he begged off because he, he 
I think he wanted to get rest or something. He was, he was with them in Chicago the night before. Hmm. Yeah, it still kind of gives me that empty feeling inside. Like, yeah. still to this day, it sucks that he's gone. Still hard to believe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah such a crazy situation. Fucking hate it. All right, so you guys, you know, raise a glass to the memory of Dimebag Daryl this week, too. I know you're probably feeling the same way as we do if you're about our age. So we move on here on the 9th, back in 1984. Another young one at the age of 24, Razzle from Hanoi Rocks. Terrible car accident, of course, with Vince Neal involved. It's been kind of a legendary story over the years, and it sucks, man. That's I hate that. That's like... When you look back at those times when everything was like partying and having fun and like you listen to that music and it's like you felt like the oh these guys don't have no consequences. But there's some reality for you right there. Yeah. But between that and AIDS, I think that woke a lot of people up in the rock and roll community. Yeah. All right. So then on the tenth, you want to remember classic monkeys guitarist michael nesmith you know i put him on this list not because the monkeys are heavy hard rock or nothing (laughs) (laughs) but because i've been actually listening to some of his solo stuff recently oh it's much different than the monkeys way different there's some country Mm -hmm. but it sounds like really good outlaw country from the 70s yeah, some of that stuff's pretty good. And it's pretty good. And there's a few hard rocking songs, too, that are way heavier than anything the Monkees ever did. So, I mean, when I put on the Michael Nesmith album, the whole thing's not good because he's kind of an artsy guy. So some of it's really weird, but some of it's really cool, too. So you remember him. He passed away at 78, lived a pretty long life. Back in 2021, we lost him. And I believe that's as far as we'll go for this week on the Rockstar Death Days. John Lennon, Dimebag Daryl, all these guys, man, legendary. Scott Weiland, so cool and so sad that they're gone. Way too young, way too early. And you always got to wonder when you look at these lists, like, what could have these guys gone on to do? Especially the young dudes. They could have created avatars of themselves. I'm glad they're dead. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm going to have fun with this Avatar thing. Just hope you're ready for it. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. Well, it's the end of the year. So when it comes to new albums coming out, there's not a whole lot happening right now. Like I said, you know, when we look back on album anniversaries, they're usually way more stout than that. But when it comes to December things really kind of die off, you know, cause you, but you would think, you know, Hey, you know, new album right before Christmas, but that's not how they did it back then. So that's not how they do it anymore. So this is going to be the last time we look forward to albums in 2023. Cause this I'm just going to wrap us out to the end of the year. Cause yeah, it's pretty dead. Maybe next geek wire. I think we got one more before the end of the year. We'll talk about the bands that told us we were going to get new albums in 2023 but never delivered the goods. But one last time for 2023, let's round out December. These are actually albums that are already out, so they're available now, and then there's nothing else for the end of the year that I'm aware of. 
So we've been talking about the extravaganza of releases by Cleopatra Records because they found the secret vaults of videos and audio from back in the day of UFO playing all over the place. And they got the old stuff, they got mid-90s stuff, and everything else. So on the first, Cleopatra released two albums by UFO, classic concerts. One of them called California at Edge from 1995, and another one, Landing in St. Louis from 1982. So if you love the UFO, you got all the rest of the stuff they came out with towards the second half of this year. You got to grab those too. Speaking of kick-ass live albums, coming out on the came out on the eighth, Blue Oyster Cult first night 50th anniversary live. It's a Frontiers album. It's their 50th anniversary show from 2022 in New York City. It's two discs plus a DVD. It's got classic members of the band showing up on stage. It's pretty damn cool. It's the way you should do it. Exactly. Yeah. Blue Oyster Cult out there showing them how it's done the right way. So if you want to have that for your personal collection, that one's out now. Blue Oyster Cult, first night, 50th anniversary live. Hell yeah. And then here's something interesting. You know the German heavy metal band Gravedigger, right? Sure. Here's something I bet you didn't know about these German metal powerhouses. They were having tough times between 1988 and 1991. They were without a record label during that period of time. So what did they do? They dissolved Gravedigger and became a new band called Hawaii. Oh, I've heard of Hawaii. Yeah? I never knew about this. So they became Hawaii, but that never really went anywhere. And eventually they reformed Gravedigger and get re-signed, and they're still putting out great music to this day. But they're coming out with an album called Gravedigger, The Forgotten Years. It's on Vic Records. And it is a lot of that lost 1988 to 1991 stuff where it's the songs from the band Hawaii and other unreleased songs. So pretty neat that they're doing that. Wasn't Hawaii a band that Marty Friedman was in? I don't know. I think there may have been two different bands called Hawaii because, you know, sometimes they do that. There's the European version and then there's U.S. version. And oh, then, like, if, yeah. the, if Hawaii would have became something, they would have probably been Hawaii G.E.R. or something like that if they came to the States. I'm not sure all that all works. But, yeah, it's kind of weird to think, like, we're Gravedigger. Like, that's not working. Let's try something else. What should we call ourselves? How about Hawaii? i love it (laughs) yeah that is a sharp left turn isn't it yeah so that sounds pretty interesting to me i'd be interested in checking it out and then one more came out on the eighth this one i just threw in there because it seems kind of cool it's a various artist tribute called burn on the bayou a heavy underground tribute to ccr comes to you from ripple music and it's just a bunch of hard rock, kind of doom metal sort of bands doing tributes to CCR. And I didn't really recognize a lot of the bands that were on this thing, so I just I wanted to check something out. So I've always loved the song Sinister Purpose by CCR. So I looked that one up, and it was a band called Roadsaw. Wow. <laughs> it's pretty damn cool. 
I'll have to check that out. You hear like a heavy metal version of that. Yeah, pretty neat. So there you have it. That's the end of the year as far as albums to look forward to coming your way in 2023. Like I said, we got some hell to raise next week for the bands that told us we had stuff coming, but they didn't bring it. So on the next Geek Wire, instead of talking about albums coming our way, we will address these bands and artists that did not hold up their end of the deal. All right. So there you have it. That's the Camaro segment. Got to remember the people that we've lost, celebrate the albums, having anniversaries, and always look to the future of rock and roll. It's right in front of you. Right on. So a few more stories to get to here. In a new interview with Marcelo Vieira of the Igor Miranda YouTube channel, uh, Mick Mars was asked about why John Karabi is not going to be featured on the new record. And he said, I really wanted him to sing on it, but I know he was busy with Dead Daisies and doing these other things. I don't know. He was kind of like not adamant, but kind of unsure. John is a good friend of mine, and we both kind of decided that we should not repeat the 94 album. Yeah, that kind of thing. I think we made the right choice to have him not sing, even though he's got an incredible voice. I don't know how to make heads or tails of that answer at all. Well, I mean, damn it. That's what I wish he would do. Like, why not do that? I wish he would would get together with Karabi, get a great bass player, get a drummer, and write songs as if you were writing MC94 Part 2. And I don't understand his answer. John's got an incredible voice, but we made the right decision not to have him on the record. Huh? But he said that it, there was like a third party that messed things up between him and John being able to work together on this was the other answer that I'd read. So this kind of sounds like like a stock answer. Like there's more to it than what I'm saying. But, you know, he's a great guy, but it's just whatever, you know. That's kind of a funny answer when I don't know if it was the same interview or one he had done recently where it said that there was a third party involved and it messed up the situation between him and John Karabi. And then he ended up finding Michael Wagner, who lives right up the road, and it all worked out great without Karabi. Yeah, actually, in the same article, they reference what you're talking about. He did uh, he did an interview with Eddie Trunk recently and okay. said, I felt the songs are just a little not strong enough, and there's a certain person that kind of interfered with that, and I'm not going to say his name, but he kind of like messed some things up. The songs were wrong, parts in there that shouldn't be there, and blah, blah, blah. It isn't a long story, but it was kind of like, that ain't going to fly, so I shelved it. So wait, the songs were wrong, parts in there that shouldn't be there. So then it must have been he a bad it? mix or a bad production. Perhaps. Yeah, so it also makes me wonder if he's blaming Michael Wagner for it. No, because he says that he then worked with Michael Wagner. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. So yeah. it's like whoever whoever he had working on the stuff before Michael messed it up, but he doesn't say who. I don't know who that could be. Well, and he said, I'm not going to say his name, which makes me think it's somebody that is notable. Yeah. So who knows? Hmm. I don't know. And the I like the riff. Over, I like the new song overall, but it definitely wasn't what I was hoping for. No, it's it doesn't sound like Motley Crue. No. And it, it's guitar... It's okay, but I mean, there's nothing about it that screams McMars. Not really. It just sounds like kind of standard modern hard rock slash metal. 
If you're giving me a Mick Mars solo album, I want to know that it's Mick Mars playing on it without having to be told that it's Mick Mars. Right. Super notable, but Aerosmith's Dream On has surpassed 1 billion streams on Spotify, so I hope they enjoy that $5.65. It is an awesome song, though. One of the all-time greatest. Yeah. Also, more evidence that people just want to hear the same 50 songs over and over again. (laughs) That's true, too. That's true. But those of you listening and us, we're not wired that way. I don't ever skip that one, though. No, I don't either. It's a great song but I don't go out of my way to listen to it, but I don't ever skip it. I'm a little burned out on that one. But still, even though you get burned out on it, it's still one of them songs when it comes on, you're like, fuck yeah. 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 So we just had a couple years of Def Leppard and Motley Crue doing stadium tours and uh, with Poison, and uh, that seemed to go off well. So Def Leppard is going back out in the stadiums, but Motley Crue is not joining them. No. And... They're going to be co-headlining with Journey, which is actually the same co-headline tour my wife and I saw at Starwood years ago. And it says stadium tour with Heart, Cheap Trick, and Steve Miller Band. Oh, wow. Nice. But the thing is, they announced it like that with all these bands listed, but you have to look into the fine print, and certain cities are getting certain openers. Oh, man. I was going to say, I would probably go to that then. Just, if nothing else, to see Steve Miller Band, Cheap Trick, and Heart. We're getting... We're getting Steve Miller Band and Heart. We're not getting Cheap Trick. Oh, man. Yeah. I don't never get to see Cheap Trick. Something always happens. Yeah, I know. You should have gone to that Poison Cheap Trick show we went to. I know. I know I should have. Um, but I don't know. I might go to this because I, I kind of want to see Heart. It just depends on if I can get a cheap ticket because it's happening at uh, Nissan Stadium. Yeah, that usually jumps up them ticket prices pretty high. Yeah. But they're playing big places, you know, Bush Stadium, Truist Park in Atlanta, Wrigley Field, Nissan Stadium, Fenway Park, um, all the a lot, all SoFi Stadium in L.A. So it's it's a big fucking tour. But uh, Def Leppard's like, we can do this. We don't even need Motley Crue. I think Journey's a, a step up from Motley Crue as far as live performance. Probably right. Yeah. And uh, I guess I could go for seeing Steve Miller Band. I've never seen him live. I really want to see Hart, though. Yeah? Yeah. So what? my wife and I will probably end up going to this. Yeah, it seems pretty cool. Yeah. And it's just called the Summer Stadium Tour. So they got very creative with naming it. All you need is the band logos on the poster. Yep. Um, we're going to wrap things up with an Ozzy Osbourne story. And it kind of kind of, sort of connected to the new technology with Kiss, but different. Uh Somebody said he did a wide-ranging discussion on the op, the Osborne's podcast. And if you haven't watched the Osborne's podcast on YouTube, it's worth your time because they're funny yeah. as hell together. Yeah. Even though I know a lot of you hate Sharon, but they're entertaining. When 
their son Jack asked Ozzy if he'd be open to using AI to study the way Randy Rhodes played and make a new song in a similar style. Ozzy said, well, you know what? I'm open for anything if it was good quality, because let's face it, the Beatles thing now and then wasn't a Beatles song. It was a John Lennon song. The thing with AI, you can go make me a new album, but that's the future. The, the music scene's going to be completely different. Asked if it makes him nervous, Ozzy said no. But I don't know. Would you? What, what would you think? And I want to hear. I want the listeners to comment about this. What would you be in favor of them using AI technology to make a new Ozzy song, sim, you know, sort of featuring Randy Rhodes? Hmm. I don't know, man. So what you would put into AI, give me a guitar riff that sounds like Randy Rhodes would have created it. Yeah, basically. And then you build your song around those. Yeah, like the the technology would do a deep dive into Randy's playing and writing and composition and come up with a an AI version of what he what AI predicts he would have done. Wow. Part of me says that that's creepy and lame. Part of me says I wonder what it would sound like. It does make you curious just to at least hear what it would come up with. And then the other part of me says, is that where music is going? Where you just get up one day and be like, AI, create me a new Ace Fraley song I've never heard before. Oh, I like this. Hey, that's a good one. You know? And then mm-hmm. the next day be like create me an ACDC song I've never heard before. Or what if ACDC sang a song about bombs and boats? (laughs) That sounds like an ACDC song. Right. (laughs) They're like, oh, that's easy. (laughs) (laughs) Bombs and boats. (laughs) But then, like, there's there will be no... That's a post-apocalyptic rock and roll world, man, where there is no bands anymore. Yeah, I mean, starting to head that direction. I mean, there's still plenty of amazing bands, but I don't know, just for a what-if scenario, it would be, my opinion as a fan would be, if Ozzy's the one putting this together and the AI model can come up with something that he thinks passes the test and he decides it's good enough to put out, then that's good enough for me. I'll I'll listen. It doesn't mean I'm going to love it, but I would be interested in hearing it if he thinks it's worthy. The real prediction would be they come up with a bunch of scenarios. They play them for Ozzy. Ozzy says this is bullshit. It could never sound like Randy. I don't buy this. I'm not doing it. Yeah. Because I just don't see, no matter how much you program a computer to rock, it can't rock as much as Randy Rhodes. somebody to do with classic Ozzy like classic 78 does with kiss. Right. I think you're going to, with AI, I think you're eventually going to start getting a lot of these things that you brought up as like hype, you know, hypotheticals. 
I think technology will get to a point where it can do that. Now, also Rick Beato, who's a big YouTuber, he does a lot of stuff on the music business, and he did. I guess you can go through and there's websites now that you can just you can find free AI generated music and sample it, and you can and if you like it, you can buy the whole song. And he was going through on his show and and playing little clips of like the rock and metal stuff. Yeah, it's. I think it's still got a long way to go. It's not. Yeah. It's not where it needs to be yet. Everything sounded kind of just hokey and cheesy. But it'll get there someday. Oh, it will. It's. It's the fact that it does what it does already is mind blowing. But it's just going to keep learning on itself and just getting better. Yeah. And then we're all going to be ruled by these overlords. Right. They'll resent us because no matter how intelligent they get, they can never rock as hard as a real human being. Unless it's Vinnie Vincent's drum machine. Oh, yeah. That'll be our AI overlord. It's not the music you wanted, but it's what you deserve. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. I'm scared for the future. But, hey, we still got rock and roll. We still got our albums, and we still have good records coming out in the next year. So we're all good. Heck, yeah. All right. So there you have it. That's GeekWire this week, brought to you by the Decibel Geek Podcast, which is brought to you by Pantheon Podcast. Check them out to find the greatest music podcasts on earth. If you love the Decibel Geek Podcast, that you say the only thing that sucks about it is that there's not enough We've got a solution for you there, too. It's called Patreon. It's a place where you can sign up to become a Decibel Geek VIP. There's hundreds and hundreds of hours of stuff in the archives there. You get the Chris and Aaron show, which is a lot of behind-the-scenes and funny bullshit. And then you got the Torpedo Dudes, which is our personal KISS podcast. And that's all available to Decibel Geek VIPs on Patreon. Check it out. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts, on Podchaser, and Facebook recommendations on the Facebook are always appreciated as well. So thank you guys once again for tuning in with us. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast. We'll catch you next week. See ya.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 